get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. everyone and welcome to Carriker Smallman and Danny Mac minus Smallman. She's made her trip to South Florida. She's gone for the weekend and will return on Monday. It's seven o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So it's Dan and Randy with you for the next three hours. And Emily is here wearing her Pat Maroon sweater. Oh, I thought it was the Kachuk. Oh, it's got it's Patty Maroon. Oh, there it is. There you go. Yeah, that's well. All he does is win championships, Randy. All he does is win, 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 win. Good morning to you, buddy. Good morning. Great to have you here. And I know that you were working late last night for the Cardinals. They fall by a score of five two to the Giants. And I think anybody who fell asleep after Johan Oviedo's first couple of innings, they would have thought, man, this is going to be a blowout. Cardinals actually held things together and had a chance into the eighth inning. Yeah, the Cardinals again, though. What is the winning recipe? If you were going to draw it up, if you're going to draw it up this year, and a lot of times I think this is a generalization of just how you win in baseball anyway. What's a real easy thing not to do? Walk guys. Walk guys. And certainly that was the case last night. As you looked at how it all unfolded, they had eight walks, one intentional in the game, Oviedo, He's being pressed into duty that probably he shouldn't be here. Does he have major league stuff? I think he does because when he's in the zone, he gets soft contact or he gets strikeouts. It's just few and far between where he's throwing strikes. And what happens yesterday, Randy, the Cardinals grab an early lead and his first nine pitches, eight were balls and the bases loaded in the first inning. And all of a sudden it's bases loaded, nobody out. And he gets two outs and he gets past Crawford and you're thinking he's gonna he's gonna Houdini yeah. this thing and get out of it. And what's he do? He hits a guy. So the Cardinals now have had twenty bases loaded walks. They have hit either five or six with the bases loaded and five wild pitches with the bases loaded. Historically bad in that regard, but generally speaking, just the walks have killed them. So two of the walks came around to score. One was by a hit by pitch. And what do you lose by? You lose 5-2. Those are three of the runs. Mm -hmm. That kind of sums it up. I I really want to do a deep dive. I'd be curious what you think about this. And I know we have other headlines to get to here in the first segment. But when the Cardinals score in an inning, and I don't care if it's the first or the fifth, but that following inning, when you don't have a shutdown inning or a Mm 1-2-3, There is a momentum inside the game of baseball when you have the momentum of scoring and you're feeling good about it, and all of a sudden, uh, eight of nine first-pitch balls? You know, that that is hard to deal with at this level, and they're on pace again after the game last night for roughly 700 walks this season. So it was Oviedo, it was Waddell. They used 
what, five or six different pitchers? How about this, Randy? I yeah, brought six my different score. pitchers. I guys. brought my scorecard. Oviedo, Waddell, Gant, Miller, Miller, Fernandez, and you know, there's just it, it was just walk after walk, and you just can't have that. And the Cardinals are starting to get what I think, generally speaking, is pretty good defense. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen that. Harrison Bader um, makes such a big difference for this defense overall. No question. Putting Carlson at a corner yep. spot where I think he's more comfortable. Ideally, I think you'd like to have Tommy Edmond at second base. But, hey, Sosa made a couple of really good plays last night. And your two big guys are swinging the bat well, which is Arenado and Goldie. So if you get that, that's the combination this year for the Cardinals. And uh, Oviedo is going to stay in the rotation yesterday. Mike Schilt making an announcement about Carlos Martinez before the game. Yeah, it looks like he's got a tear in his ligament um, from that. Um, you know, the offense has not been very, very good to us from the pitching perspective. Um, it looks like it's, it's sniped another one of our starters. Um, so, you know, he's, gonna, he's heading back to St. Louis as we speak. He's at the airport, and we'll get better at clarity as we move forward. And that better clarity, how long could Martinez be out with a torn thumb ligament? It's not great. It's not positive. It's um, it's clearly going to be something that's going to impact him for some period of time. How much, I'd be irresponsible to say, but um, it's not. He's, don't expect him in my rotation in the very near future. When I hear that, I'm thinking there's a lot of different things the Cardinals have to do at the trade deadline. Um, one way or another, whether they're selling or trying to add whatever they want to do, but it looks like now you really have to fo- focus on some type of starting pitching well, or a veteran that can give you some innings, some spot starts, something like that. And I don't want to count on Michaelis. I don't want to count on Flaherty in the second week of August. So right now you've got LeBlanc, you've got Wayno, you've got KK, you've got Oviedo. It, does John Gant make his way back into the rotation now? I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't either. I, I I think I've got to keep him in the bullpen. He's got now 51 walks after another walk yeah. last night. That leads Major League Baseball. I'd rather see him in small sample sizes. Now, if you're if you're pressed into it because you can't go out and get somebody, then I guess you would do that, Randy. But Woodford is stretching out. That's the guy. That's the guy. I mean, if you're looking for help from the minor leagues, the, the one guy I look at is Jake Woodford. And I don't see Matthew Liberatore here anytime soon he was beat up in his last start mm-hmm. now he's made strides but you got to remember he's going from from a ball to triple a that's a massive jump in in pitching and baseball so and i don't think he's ready i, I am with you and I, I think all we need to do is look at johan oviedo and see how you can be on the brink of ruining a guy because you're forced into using him and with Oviedo already here do you want two guys like that and there's a very good chance that you could have that if Libertor is forced into making his major league debut I think ideal I the ideal situation would be if you're going to bring a Matthew Libertor he's in your bullpen and you can really manage the appearances okay here's the the bottom of the order for this particular spot, or here's two out of three lefties, and they're not going to be probably changing, going to a right-handed batter. I feel more comfortable doing that than I would saying, hey, go get him every fifth day, because, you know, if he's still getting beat up in the minor leagues, he's going to get beat up at times up here, too. Hockey, breaking overnight, if you didn't hear it or see it. Well, let's get one more baseball note here, shall we, Dan? Because Shohei Otani just continues to do it for the Angels. He did it yesterday against Boston, and it was so much fun. He fouls a ball off his front foot, fouls a ball off his back knee, back-to-back pitches. Matt Vasquez and Mark Gubiza with the call on Angels TV. The next 2-2 home. Oh, he's going to get the joke around. (laughs) 
is no one like him. You foul it off your front foot, you foul it off your back knee, and what do you do? You say, you'll have to take that little casual job, and he rockets that one out. Number 32 of the season. And remember, he hit and pitched last night. I love him. It is awesome. And MLB Network put that on nationally. I love the fact that every time he's playing, we're seeing their games. Baseball's doing that part right. Whether it's ESPN or MLB Network, we're seeing it every time he steps to the plate or pitches. Could you imagine what next week the requests of his time are going to be when you go to the Home Run Derby with ESPN and then uh, Joe Buck and John Smoltz are calling the the All-Star Game on Fox? Because really, the, the, the game is an exhibition, which is always, in my opinion, should have been anyway. I used to love the All-Star Game as a kid. I Me don't know too. about you. Loved I mean, it. I loved it. I never missed it. Never. Uh, I find myself kind of, I don't know if disinterested is the right way to put it, but I, it's not appointment television for me. He's made this, at least his at-bats, will be appointment television for right. me. I want to see what he's doing, and I want to see what they're thinking about, okay, how are you going to pitch him? You know, you're going to start him. You're going to, you, you could really have fun with this. You could, you could say, well, we're going to start him, and he's going to bat lead off. Yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? You know, do something. I'll bet that happens. Outside the box. Yeah. Um, But to your greater point, I think you've made this. Clearly, those from his country are going to be watching every move that he makes. So you've already engaged those fans. But I think you've gotten the casual baseball fan to say, man, who is this guy? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the deal? 32 bombs and he throws 100 and he's one of the fastest players in the game. First player in history with 32 homers and 12 stolen bases before the All-Star break. And and he's went in, I think he's four or five and one when he's on the mound. You know, they're very cautious about that. So he's just an intriguing, incredibly talented player, which is great. And he's not from here, which is cool too. So you've made it uh, beyond uh, the United States, which brings in the world. I, I just think it's great. He's literally, and I know this is a big statement, but it's true. He's literally our generation's Babe Ruth. Oh, for sure. We and, had Rick Ankeel, yep. but he didn't do it at the same right, time. So. I talked to Rick the other day. He's on a list with Babe Ruth, Otani, and himself. And I said, <laughs> you know, it's something like 75 or more home runs or something like mm-hmm. that. And, you know, X amount of innings pitched. They're the only three in the history of baseball to do it. And I go, what do you think of that? He goes, man, it's really cool. <laughs> it's still really cool. Great. But here's a, by the way, in the home run derby, I'm going to watch it. But I want Trey Mancini to win. Yeah, that'd be a great story. Stage three cancer, yep. come back, be able to play. Awesome story. All right. Now the story about Vladimir Tarasenko. He has officially requested a trade from the Blues. Multiple sources telling Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic, who will be with us at 845. Tarasenko asked for the move earlier this offseason, and Doug Armstrong is currently attempting to facilitate the deal, according to Jeremy's sources from the league and the team. Why does he want out? According to sources familiar with the situation, he's upset, Tarasenko is, with the team's handling of his shoulder surgeries in 2018 and 2019. His first two of three such surgeries, which were both performed by Blues physicians, and according to Jeremy, Tarasenko feels there's no trust left between he and the organization. Mm. The... uh, surgeries uh, the third surgery was carried out by non-club doctors at the Stedman Clinic in Edwards Colorado the ligament damage according to the story here what from the first injury was not corrected in either of the first two operations and wasn't caught until Tarasenko was seen by the doctors in Colorado Sources say Tarasenko complained about discomfort in the shoulder before rejoining the team in the bubble, and he believes the club waited too long before doing additional testing. So 
Tarasenko has asked for a trade and Doug Armstrong t- trying to facilitate a trade. Seventh year of his eight-year contract that'll pay him $60 million. He's got $7.5 million annual average value. Full no-trade clause kicked in two years ago with this. Um, I think there's a lot of moving parts to this, Randy. You would understand this a lot better than I do because you follow this so closely. And I, I follow it, but just not as closely as you do. You really get into this stuff with the, with the numbers. From a, from a quick, just instant reaction is, um, I wonder how tied the Blues are without having to take back some type of money on this that they would be to move him. You don't want if a player comes out and says, I want to be moved, a lot of times you got to do it because you don't want a disgruntled mm-hmm. player back in your clubhouse or in your locker room. I think you would agree with that. So to me, in a in with the pandemic when it hit and with the cap not rising, I, I just wonder how limited teams are going to be having already set a general idea of the parameters of their payroll of what they can be able to add. Meaning then, look, we love Tarasenko. We, we take a flyer on him, even with those three surgeries. He's only 29. Maybe we can get some good years out of him, but we just can't afford him at that price. Mm-hmm. So how hamstrung are the Blues going to be to be able to move him with that type of uh, that type of salary? And in addition to the cap aspect of things, his cash outlay for next season is $9.5 exactly. million. So right. all these teams that had to deal with not having fans for essentially a year and a half, sure. they don't have as much cash as they once had. So the Blues may have to pay some of that cash if they want to be able to move on from Tarasenko. And Something. One of, oh, go ahead. One of the other things that Jeremy pointed out is that uh, the Blues very well may have been trying to move him even if he hadn't requested the trade. Yeah. Um, something, I, I don't know if you said this, but the report, too, also listed that when he wasn't named captain. Yeah. Did you mention that? I did not. Okay, so that that was something that he said that he was kind of hurt by. He was, uh, you know, hurt, I guess, was the best way to put it, that uh, wasn't considered for that. But remember, he was injured at the time, um, and he was one of the longest tenured blues, either either the longest or second longest tenured blue, and wasn't listed as a captain, helped win the, the Stanley Cup for them. I think we all would agree that he's a sniper, and mm-hmm. when he's healthy, he could be pre- very productive. It's just, if you bring him back, I don't know how productive you would possibly get out of Tarasenko in St. Louis. Now, if you get him somewhere else, you get him a fresh start, you get him with the right people. That's the key. And and here's the other thing, too. I'm going to say this. Is this system right for him? So if your window in, in JR's reporting was very good when he talked to Tom Stillman and he's talked to Doug Armstrong and everybody has said, hey, we feel the window to win is still open. We got a couple more years. If the window is still there, and you feel that, okay, Craig Berube is your coach, is he the right guy to fit for Craig Berube and vice versa? So it might be just best to move on on both parties. Would you agree with that? Agree 100%. And congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm winning their second straight Stanley Cup last night. A scoreless first period, scoreless through 13 minutes of the second until at the 13-27 mark. Puck is battled for along the near boards, close to the blue line. Who's going to come up with it? McDonough will. He emerges with it. Center point. Right circle. Chernak. Score with the board. He set it up for Ross Colton. Ross Colton has made it 1-0. Savard stepped in. Centered it for Ross Colton. He redirected it in. It's 1-0 Lightning. Dave Mishkin with the call. Scoreless in the third. Down the stretch they went. The Lightning have done it. They have done it. They have gone back to back for the second year in a row. Wow. 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I Just like Game it, 7 against the Islanders. Yep. one nothing. another shutout for Vasilevsky in a series-clinching game. See, it's reactions like that why we need baseball to change so that Dan can call <laughs> a championship. I would love that. That would be great. Um, I was thinking as I was watching the highlights last night, how much maybe sweeter this one was for the Lightning. It's one thing to win the cup in a shortened pandemic season. This is a shortened season too, but with fans, you know, being in the bubble, I bet the the release of excitement in 2020, Randy was not only winning the, the cup, which is clear, you're, you're excited to win, but to get the hell out of the bubble, like I'm just so happy to get out of here and there was no fans there and you could hear the fans in Tampa going crazy but how well are the lightning run from a professional oh. standpoint? So in 2019, when the Blues won, you know, we're talking about the, the NHL's record for most wins in a regular season. They had 62. Then last year they win the Cup. Now they go back to back. They mentioned in the highlight another one nothing shutout. So in his last five series clinching games, he's had shutouts. So you, your goalie's been really good. We always talk about it. you got to have a great goalie, yep. right? you got to win in postseason with a great goalie. But then it's also about roster management and staying in a uh, a league that's got a cap, uh, being able to maneuver it. They had Braden Point take a hometown discount. Uh, they snuck Tyler Johnson through waivers last year, which was a key. And then, uh, you know, at the very end of this season with the the Denny Savard, uh, David Savard, David excuse Savard, me, yep. yeah, David Savard, they, the defenseman, they pick him up in a three-way deal. He's probably the best on the market at that point, so they get him for the stretch run. I'm not sure they're going to be able to keep all these guys. Yep. There's going to be some roster turnover with them, but they manipulated that, and their best manipulation was... Yeah, the using the long-term injured reserve. Kucherov had hip surgery before the season started. Didn't play any of the 56 regular season games, so he didn't go against their cap. His $18 million didn't go against their cap. He shows up for game one of the playoffs, scores a couple of goals, and had another great playoff. He very well could have been the Connie Smythe winner. Uh, Vasilevsky got it, but they manipulated the rules perfectly. So congratulations to them, and Pat Maroon wins his third. He was owed, what, 17 or 18? $18 million. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. and he was available to come back. So it's not cheating. Uh, they just kind of manipulated this thing towards the end. He was like three or four weeks before the season mm-hmm. ended. Could have come back. By the way, they had a plus 50 goal differential. Never lost two in a row in the postseason. That's pretty dominant. Pretty awesome. All right. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got a quick sick of it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> about it in the open and i know that this is kind of uh, trite and obvious but i'm sick of walks why do you always have to read my mind randall i had it written down here somewhere that on my sick of it segment i had walks you also just stole half the text line yeah thanks well every, why don't you come up with uh, your own stuff everybody Randy? is sick of walks st louis is sick of walks do you think we can i i, I don't know if you've checked this out if they get to 700, are they close to the all-time record? Not sure. I know the base is loaded at the half, even before the halfway point. I think the all-time record with walks with the bases loaded is 28. Mm-hmm. And I said in the first segment, 20. It might be 21 that they're at now. So they, they got a shot at that. Um, 
I mean, think about all those runs with the bases loaded that you've just given yeah. away with the walks, the hit batters, the wild pitches. Games you've given away because yeah. of that. Yeah. So um, at least that would be within reach. But, yeah, I would think it's got to be, right? I mean, 700 walks. Unreal. Unbelievable. It is. It's hard to do. My turn for sick of it. Uh, so unless you I stole, stole yours. You yeah. really did. So, well, we can go right to the text line, 65780. It kind of hurts that you stole mine. You always steal. I, I come, only come in on Thursdays yep. and Fridays, and really, I'm essentially a guest, and you steal half of my material. Okay, Dan, here. I am sick of Carlos Martinez getting hurt every single year. This one, though, is pretty legitimate. It is. Yeah. I mean, you tear a... If you, if you can't grip legit. a ball, you, if you... Oh, they are. I, yeah. I, don't, I should say that. But, I mean, man, if you can't grip a ball i give him credit by the way we should give him credit for going back out there and yeah. pitching the other day Trying. when we didn't have any idea of just how much he was hurt you tear a ligament in your thumb you can't grip a ball for essentially i mean because mm-hmm. you got pressure points on the ball and trying to throw different pitches that's pretty tough to do i believe and here we are in 2021 i think his last injury free season was 2017 it is 18 19 20 21 so. yes it is what it is it is what it is emily what do you have on the text line I'm reading this one first because I identify with this one spiritually. Spiritually. Yes. From the 314, sick of no AC in my car. Ooh, yeah. I would definitely feel that way. I do have an, um, you listen to the 10 o'clock hour. Emily, you listen. Yes. I do that show with BK. I don't know if you, you guys knew that. Sometimes mm. I go and podcast right after. Yeah. So when I, when I can, I turn it on. But okay. sometimes I have to go. Load um, up your show yeah. for the podcast. But, I do, uh, yes. Uh, Dan Zaliga is a proud sponsor of 101 ESPN. And if you have any issues with your AC, normally that is home AC. Mm-hmm. But if you give Dan a call, I'm sure he'd be able to help you out. You know, they've been in business for almost 100 years. And if you find that the AC is not working or working efficiently, give Dan a call. And I'm not sure he can help you with a uh, car AC, but <laughs> he's really good with ACs. And that's important. I, I just tried to provide the info on the show. It wasn't a shameless plug. I think it was a shameless plug, but it's a good shameless plug. Thank you, Randall. On the way moving, so I interned at ESPN summer of 2016. On the drive to Connecticut, my AC in my car went out. Oh, no. And I, I was there for three months. And my dad my dad runs That's a car brutal. dealership. So he was like. Does he really? Yeah. What kind of cars? Uh, Nissan's Volkswagens used. So he was like, don't waste your money. We can do it for a lot cheaper. So but it was three months. It was three months. That's tough. So the best that I could do was buy on like Amazon, one of those like dashboard um, fan things. And all it would do was like spin the hot air around in the car. And the weather up there, it's about the same, but there's no humidity. So it's still it was hot. hot. Yeah, you, you get out of the car and your shirt is sticking to your back. I don't like that. When I go to the ballpark, when we're doing the, the home games and I get out of the car and I have to wear a suit, let's say. And I've got a suit shirt on and uh, sticking to my back. It's not good. I don't like that. Even the five-minute drive from where they they housed us to ESPN's campus, it was miserable. Yeah, nasty. It was so bad. Hot. I get it. From the 636, sick of slow people driving in the fast lane. I got no, you know what? Hey. I'll man- maneuver around. Passing, I'm just yeah. I'm just happy to to see people back in their cars and going to work. Me too. So I'm done complaining about that. To 101 ESPN. That's correct, Randall. From the 636, I'm sick of Oviedo still not having a major league win. I'm with you there. I wonder if he is. Oh, I know he is. He's got to be. I mean, I would think. You know, I I understand, especially for guys like your son Patrick Randall, 
and analytic geniuses that we're not supposed to value wins anymore. Okay? I get it. However, um, which I'm, by the way, not in that camp. I do value, I value a win. Um, and so does Patrick, by the way. Oh, good. All right. I so, tweeted last night. You realize? I saw your tweet, but I didn't have a chance to really dive into it. But oh, go ahead. 37 days since Jack Flaherty started and got hurt for the Cardinals. Dodger Stadium. Dodgers. Five and a half weeks. And there are only four National League pitchers with more wins than his eight. Kershaw, Urias with the Dodgers, uh, Kyle Hendricks, and somebody else has nine. But four, So he's missed five and a half weeks, and he's still fifth in the National League in wins. So Oviedo now is, oh, this is his career. He's 0-8. ERA is around 6-17 career games. He's made... Uh, 16 starts. <sighs> He's got the fifth worst ratio in baseball, by the way, in terms of strikeouts and walks. And also in the top five on that list, John Gant, he's number one. So that's part of the problem with the Cardinals have right now when you have two of those guys, minimum 40 innings in your top five. Yeah. Not kind great. Of, not, yeah. Thanks, Emily. Thank, Thank you, you, Emily. Coming up, we're going to head up east and Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, getting ready for the MLB draft on Sunday. He'll join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, St. Louis and Lindenwood University grad Greg Amzinger, the lead anchor of MLB Network joins us. It's Character Smallman and Danny Mac without Smallman this morning. She's made her way to South Beach for a long weekend. It's always good to hear the voice of Greg Amzinger. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Today's a big day. I'm meeting with my guy, uh, Bo, um, and he's my, my like fashion dude. And I've got my red carpet choices picked out. Red carpet show leading up to the All-Star game. So Bo's very excited. He has seven great options for me. I'm going to go try them on uh, it's something I could see Dan McLaughlin enjoying as well. It's a good day. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. You don't know me very well, Greg. And I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> you know, in this pandemic season of last year and this year, I'm going basically with just about three different coats. I've really cut it back, you know. When we come out <laughs> full, full more shame, next year. Dan. No, Dan, no, no. I, go, go ahead, Greg. I remember. Yes, I sir. remember a 25-year-old Dan McLaughlin strolling through a radio station wearing a different eye-popping combo of tie, pocket square, patterned shirt with these tailor-made suits, popping shoes. What has happened? I, you, you were the definition of male fashion. Well, pre- you understand. Well, absolutely, Greg, and it makes all the sense in the world. And while I do appreciate those comments, uh, then there was this thing called marriage and four kids. <laughs> <laughs> and just things changed, baby. You know how that works. Yeah, yeah. It's the good old days, man. I look back to those and smile when I think of you. It was great. No, you were you were awesome. I, we, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Randy. I no, just no got problem. I got a question. I'm trying to think. You were were you my intern at KMOX? Yes, yes. I'm my intern for Randy and intern for you, uh, Tom Ackerman, the whole the whole shebang. Yeah, that yeah, was great. Because when I was on weekends, they would set me up with a guy usually, and there's guys I remember for sure, and I re- definitely remember you. You were great, um, but I couldn't remember if we shared you because there were certain guys I would get, 
and I would say, like, hey, this Amsinger kid, man. You know, I got him on the yeah. weekends, yeah. and uh, by the way, you guys can't use him. That okay? I would steal him. Yeah, and Randy <laughs> would always steal these guys, and I'd get left with, you know, no disrespect to other interns if you're listening, but they weren't as good as maybe the Am Singers and some of the others, and I was a one-man show on those weekends, man, yeah. so I needed yeah. help, you know? No, so, I remember that. All right, baby, great job. Greg has been in the bunker. That's why you haven't seen him all the time on MLB tonight over the course of the last couple of days. I want you to tell us about the draft, the Greg Amsinger draft bunker. Yeah, so our production staff starts working on this about, I'd say, three months out. I start dabbling two months out, and then for the last three weeks, all of my free time, if I'm not golfing during the daytime hours, I am cranking on the draft. I take it seriously, guys, because you have to understand, these guys, these young men, they have draft parties with family and friends. The first thing that comes out of my mouth when they're drafted has to be on point because I have I have hurt feelings. I have permanently upset guys based on either mispronouncing their names or their high schools or giving an incorrect stat or maybe not doing anything factually incorrect just giving a, a scouting report. Corey Seager doesn't want to talk to me to this day, to this day, because when Corey Seager was drafted in the first round, I read a scouting report on, on national television that said some scouts believe that his six foot four, 210 pound frame will become too large to play shortstop down the line. And he'll have to move to the hot corner. Apparently the LA times wrote about this that it sucked the air out of his draft party and everyone got quiet and he oh, got upset man. and it gave him a chip on his shoulder. This is a real story. So, so the moment that, that stuff happens draft, all the time, by the way, yes, it's Absolutely. crazy. Absolutely. Crazy. So he's so upset with me over that. Like, I think he's going to move to the third base. Now many scouts said that when he was in high school. So I really think seriously, uh, I, I sit with our production staff and tremendous research that we have. Uh, I've got an intern. I got my, my version of Greg Amson. His name's Sean Sides, 18 year old kid. He's brilliant. A savant. And I got him working with me and, and it's a blast. I, I do enjoy the homework. The preparation is fun, but I take it seriously. Yeah. I can't ad lib and wing this thing. So <laughs> It's, I've got to be a student again, and as you know, I, I've got a track record. But being a great student at Lindenwood is not one of them. Hey, Greg, don't worry, you're you're in a, you're in perfect company with us. <laughs> I, I, I'm not putting you on the spot. I texted you last night, and I know that you've done a ton of mock drafts. Give us a choice or two for the Cardinals. If you don't mind, can I give you three? Yes, you can. Uh, okay, okay, there's a kid that I think could slip slightly. I met this kid, love this kid, Jordan Wicks, six foot three, two hundred twenty pound left hander. He's got great velocity, punches out a lot of people. He's got the demeanor of John Lester, has a body type of John Lester. I think because the Big Twelve competition isn't exactly what people are used to seeing in the SEC. Everyone's in love with Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker for good reason. I would take this kid as the third pitcher off the board. Jackson Job's a high school right hander. The Cardinals won't be in play for. But this kid could be there at 18. So I, I think it's a consideration. There's another kid that I'm a big fan of. Now, he's not slated to go 18. He's supposed to be a little further than that. But I would pop him at 18, Colson Montgomery. He's a left-handed shortstop, left-handed hitting shortstop. I don't view him as a shortstop. This is not a Corey Seager's Here we fight. go again. You're going to ruin a party. Out. <laughs> but time out. This is one of the best high school basketball players in the state of Indiana. 
a supreme athlete. Like he's division one in basketball, like Mr. Basketball. This young man could literally play any position defensively. I, I view him as Chris Bryant. So if you're looking for a young man that's going to develop great power, a uh, great left-handed swing, but it's not going to be a true experiment of, hey, force this kid like Gorman, the minor leagues, to play second, force this kid to play in the outfield. He can play out center field, shortstop, third base, second base, first base, left field. That versatility will be attracted to a lot of teams. I like him. And the third player that I think MLB, MLB.com at Baseball America has him ranked in the 40s or the 50s in terms of the top talent, uh, a high school outfielder named Jay Allen. He's projectable. He's a center fielder now, but you can slide him over to right. He's got the arm to do it. A chiseled specimen, multi-sport athlete. He's going to University of Florida. He'll be available there. He could be I, – I, I look at guys and I dream on them, and I say, who does he remind me of? He reminds me of young Brian Jordan. The way Brian Jordan looked at the plate, how smooth he was running the bases, the way he looked defensively. Jay Allen would be my third option for the Cardinals to play this game forever. So Jordan Wicks, Colson Montgomery, Jay Allen, the names to remember when the Cardinals get into the draft on Sunday night. Yeah, I'm interested in to, to see what they do. They've really gone heavy the last couple of years with some position players. Looks like Jordan Walker's a good one. Obviously, Nolan Gorman is going to be a, a guy we see here probably uh, sooner rather than later. But Greg, I, I want to go back to the All-Star game for a moment. So correct me if I'm wrong. There's 36 guys on each roster, right? Is that yeah? Uh, okay, so we're talking seventy-two players, and I, I know fans maybe don't really care about how uh, the the hot dog is made or the sausage. What do you? What's this sausage? The, yeah. Okay. <laughs> thanks. You know, you put it all in there, and it comes out, and you you have a nice meal. So my point is, is that this is a celebration of the game, and part of the celebration of the game is having the media being able to. Uh, expose the athletes and talk to the players. So you're going to be on the red carpet, but I am curious about the COVID protocols of the game. So we don't know who's been vaccinated, who hasn't. So can media get around there? Are they allowed down on the field? Um, What's it like for a player going there with COVID rules? All these different things. I haven't heard much about that. I'm just curious what's, what's going on with some of that stuff. Yeah, it's a great question. We would not be allowed to go work the event for MLB Network if we were not vaccinated. Okay. So all of the members of the production team from our network uh, had to show proof of, va- of full vaccination. So the vaccination card had to have a photocopy, had to be sent to your production manager. The production manager then communicates uh, to the league office and their operations folks put you on a list and now you are free to interview the players. Now the players... That's a different story. We, we don't have access to the information as to who is vaccinated and who is not. Um, but there have been members in broadcast that, that are friends of mine that are not attending the All-Star game because they're choosing not to get vaccinated. And it's, it's a decision that everyone has to make. But if you want to interview the players, if you want to be up close and people, you know, um, an experience we haven't seen in a long time where players are running up on a set shaking her hands. I mean, think about how this is going to look. This is going to look like the old days before the pandemic. It's going to be really wonderful to have an anchor desk on the field. Yeah, but we had to be as members of the media. Everyone you see, everyone from Joe Buck 
to John Smoltz, to all of us on MLB Network, everyone at ESPN, if they are on the field and they are in that ballpark and they're covering anything from the derby to the red carpet to the All-Star Game, they had to be vaccinated. And previously, Greg, for All-Star Games, I've been on the air during the red carpet. This will be the first time I've really had the opportunity to sit down and enjoy it and hear your voice. I've always enjoyed, as you started this segment with, I've always enjoyed your attire for the, <laughs> the red carpet, but seeing it live for the first time is going to be cool for me. Oh, thank you. Uh, too bad you can't go. I'm excited about Denver and what it can offer us. The actual logistics of it are great. It's the first time the MLB draft will be on the road in the MLB Network era. It's going to be a great Belco theater. ESPN will also be simulcasting airing their own uh, production of the draft. It's bigger than ever before. We have a lot of players will be in attendance with their families. The, the, the theater looks like super great and legit. They've been working on it forever. But the red carpet is different. That will be the one um, tweak back to Dan's point of COVID. Uh, we're not going to have a big parade with uh, Chevrolet trucks and the all-stars in the back of the truck. The image of having thousands of people that close to players as they're rolling down a road, a downtown road, was kind of put on the shelf for this year. So they're going to be hanging out at a, at a sports bar with their families and essentially walking out to the red carpet to enter the ballpark. And that's where Harold and I will be trying to look as fabulous as we can. Well, I think your attire has been sensational. Of course, I, I would nitpick a little bit, but I digress. Um, <laughs> there's a few things, though, I, I love about what you guys are doing. You do a great job, Greg, with this is – I think it's important now, and I love the promos that MLB Network is doing. So let's say, and I'm not saying they're on the air right now, but they've been done in the last couple of years. You know, we in Secaucus, they had the Mike Trout draft. You know, you had Bud Selig up there. I think it was Bud at that time saying, you yeah. know, with the 26 pick, the uh, L.A. Angels select Mike Trout and the Yankees have selected Aaron Judge. And to have that that moment captured for historical purposes, I think is important for the game because you're seeing how it all began for these guys. And I find myself as a guy that loves this game and I love it. I I sit there and I just watch every single time that that comes on and I follow those kids. And that's the bottom mm -hmm. line is that we're supposed to be following these kids. So if you can expose them and grow the game, and I mean expose them in a good way to where, hey, let's follow that guy. He's he's now at A-ball, yeah. and here he goes to double-A and triple-A, and now he's in the big leagues. I think it's great. I, and I'm, I'm just – I think it's good for the sport that you guys are doing that. I know it may not interest a lot of fans, but for the diehards like me, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, and the other aspect to it, Dan, it's a great point. For the first time ever, we're not going to be competing against ourselves. Right. There won't be other Major League Baseball games going on while the MLB draft is on the air, which never made sense to me. If you want to grow an event, you got to take all 30 of your markets and make them sit down in their desk and pay attention to it. And if you're a baseball fan and there's no other game to watch, why wouldn't you watch the MLB draft? Absolutely. But if the Cardinals, if the Cardinals are playing the Cubs – and the draft is going on. I'll flip back and forth. But if it's a bases loaded situation, I'm bailing on the draft. I'll look at it on my phone later. So Major League Baseball is really in line with growing the game and their marquee events. And they're making this a marquee event, which I'm excited about. But when you bring up the Mike Trout story, it, to me, it's, it, it gives me goosebumps. Our first ever MLB draft on this fledgling MLB network. Is it going to work? Can, can this be a success? Our draft is in Studio 42. We couldn't get any kids to show up. We get one kid from New Jersey. We heard 
would go in the 20s. All of a sudden, we expect him to go at 23. He didn't go there. Randall Gritchick was drafted by the Angels instead. And their second pick is coming up. We're hearing they're going to go with a pitcher because Gritchick is a toolsy outfielder. Isn't that what this no-name kid from Jersey is? We're freaking out because he's the only player there. We keep showing him and his family. This is going to be a disaster. <laughs> and then Mike Trout was drafted, the only kid that showed up for the draft, and he became the best player in wow. baseball. So and the stars were aligned. When the baseball gods and the TV gods get together and have a play date, it's a good thing. It was a magical night. Greg, 30 seconds here. I loved the fact that MLB Network showed the Shohei, the, the Angels game yesterday, but it's the Shohei Otani game. And you guys are making an effort to show all of his at-bats, and it's just a smart thing to do. You talk about marketing a sport. Market that guy. He's the face of baseball right now. I've had people come up to me and they're like, you got to stop saying that, bro. I'm like, time out, man. If someone out of nowhere flew, like they hovered over the air and, and caught a ball that was going to the second deck of a ballpark, and we realized flying is now possible, I don't care what that person looks like, how many games that person's played, they've changed the reality of what the human being can actually do in a baseball stadium. He's the MVP. If you can fly, all I've heard from all my friends, John Smoltz, Pedro Martinez, I'm na- name dropping here, uh, Dan Plesek, Carol Reynolds, all of my friends at MLB Network, the guys that played Major League Baseball, were always pessimistic about the idea of a guy doing full-time pitching and hitting. The fact that none of those guys, none of them can tell me how Shohei Otani is doing this <laughs> makes it the greatest story in baseball. I love that there's a single Hall of Famer that can walk up to me in Cooperstown when I'm there in September for Derek Jeter's induction ceremony and go, let me tell you how this guy's getting it done. They don't know how he's getting it done. No one knows how he's getting it done. It's the biggest story in baseball. He is the face of baseball right now. Shohei Otani, where we're living through a movie. That's what we're doing right we now. We sure are. Hey, oh, hold on, Randy. Yeah. Uh, Greg, you got to go a little pocket square, scarf, whatever. Uh, maybe even I, I would I would even go throwback because, you know, you set the tone is what you do. You don't need to listen to your guy coming in today. You Both. set the tone. You may mm-hmm. even want to go okay. with a, uh, uh, what do you call those things, Randy, when you put it on the, the tie and it buttons? You know what I mean? It, it holds the, the tie. Oh, clip tie? No, not a clip tie. You don't want to go clip tie. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Not going to... I can't wear a tie, though. It's going to be like 90 degrees. Tie tag. It's going to be 90. Well, what about capris? What about capris with shoes oh, and no socks? No. Absolutely not. And that's <laughs> that's the other thing uh, I was going to tell you. You also have to go vest. I don't care how hot it is. You you want to you want to set the tone, baby. And vest. Th- yeah, interesting. And I okay. and we're not going capri. We're not going with these uh, you know tennis shoes. These look like golf shoes things. Even though no, I get I, it. I, that's, hate that. I, I hate understand that. that's the style. Look, I get it. The kids love it, but you got to go with some nice. Nice uh, shoe shine shoes. You need to okay. look the park, okay? Just look the park. Right. Be a professional. Wow, I feel like I'm an intern all over again. I'm taking <laughs> notes from Dan. This is great. And now, now go get us some sound and come back here, and we'll, we'll talk some more. You're the best, man. You got it, Mr. McLaughlin. You got it. <laughs> Good job, Greg. Hey, we'll we'll be watching Sunday night, and then of course, Your parents uh, are proud. Yeah, Sunday Sunday night the draft, and then uh, the the red carpet on Tuesday. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Greg. All right, guys, take care. See you, Greg. The great Greg Amzinger on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Coming up next. (laughs) 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, we went long with Greg, so we're going to shorten up, take it or leave it. Get your text in now, 65780. Dan, yesterday the Dodgers announced that because of Trevor Bauer's alleged indiscretions, they've canceled his bobblehead night on August 19th and taken all Bauer merchandise out of the Dodgers team store. We have had players with allegations or confirmations of domestic abuse. Yasiel Puig, not playing anymore. Addison Russell, not playing anymore. Uh... Osuna, not playing anymore. Take it or leave it. We have seen the last of Trevor Bauer in a major league uniform. Well, I I would say uh, with what I've read, and by no means am I a lawyer, and have a full, total understanding of what is the situation is. So I I think we need to be careful with that Mm -hmm. in that regard. But from what I've read, yes, I'd say yes. I take it. I mean, I've seen the pictures. I've seen the report in The Athletic. It's awful. And one thing about those other two guys that I mentioned, granted, they were free agents and nobody re-signed them. But with both Puig and Russell, neither of them were convicted of anything either. Odubel Herrera is one that has come back Mm -hmm. with the Phillies. And the Phillies needed help. They had him long-term. His contract was still intact in terms of them having to pay him per the agreement of the Players Association and what was going on. But um, it's pretty amazing, though, how let's just say for argument's sake that they would say, hey, by the way, we have to bring him back or the option is there. Is he welcome back in that clubhouse? That's a very good question. Is he welcome back in any clubhouse? I don't think so. Does any owner want to have that on their uh, in their clubhouse or in their payroll or representing their city in that uniform? I don't think so. So I, I... I think the Dodgers, and if if there's a team that's willing to swallow a salary, it's them. I, I think we may have seen the last of the guy. Maybe so. Hard to believe, but maybe so. Uh, take it or leave it. So the Cardinals are now 43 and 45 off day today. I was doing a little research uh, last night. As the Cardinals were in San Francisco, they had a chance to have a sweep. And so they have never had a sweep at Oracle Park. They've never had it. Wow. Opened up in uh, 2000. The last time that they had a sweep ever in San Francisco is 1993. Hmm. That team had 87 wins. 87. Do the St. Louis Cardinals of 2021 take it or leave it? Get to 87 wins. I'm going to leave that. No, I don't think this is an 87 win team. And that was a team that uh, featured, I was doing you know, looking just at the roster of the opening day roster, they had Gilkey, Pags, Ozzie, Langford, Mark Witten. Uh, that was their final year, by the way, in the National League East. The Phillies won that and then lost to Toronto. That was the Joe Carter home run in 1993. But then they went to the Central in 94. But that team had 87 wins. We forget sometimes that these teams had finished, you know, second or third. You know, the Cardinals of 06 had 83 wins, yeah. won the World Series. This team at 87, didn't qualify for postseason play. Joe Torre did a really good job with the circumstances that he was handed here in St. Louis. I thought he did, too. Some people believe. I've even had some people behind the scenes say, man, he did better in St. Louis than he did with the Yankees. And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, he just kind of filled out the lineup card with the Yankees. Mm-hmm. I said, well, the difference was, though, he took so much pressure off those players in New York yeah, with the media and the boss and everything that went on with dealing with that uh, situation with the Yankees. Yep. Emily, what do we have on the text line? From the 217, take it or leave it, half of the MLB teams currently in first place in their division will not win their division. I'd have to look and uh, get myself updated, I Randall. Do you I'm have them? I'm going to leave that because I, I, I think we're 
I pull, I have it up if you okay. want me to read it to you. I, I think the Mets win, and I think the Brewers win. I, I think the playoffs are pretty well set. Now, the I don't Giants, think the Giants win their division. No, I, I don't necessarily think so either. I think they'll make the playoffs. But I think the Giants, Dodgers, Padres all make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think the Brewers and Mets are the other division champions. You like the Mets, huh? I do. I like what the uh, Brewers did in picking up a first baseman. That That's one of the areas that they have been deficient yeah. in. They've tried Keston Hera a couple of different times. He's been up and down. They're looking for production there. Wong and Kane have been very good on base percentage. Yelich has been good on base percentage. He's hitting 225. By the way, his ground ball rate is almost 54%. He's not the same player that he was no, a year and a half before ago. Before that leg injury. Right. From, Different team. From the 314, take it or leave it, the Cardinals sign Adam Eaton. I was thinking about that. I'll take that. I think you have to look at it. I think you take a flyer on it. Um, here's the thing, though. If you're healthy with O'Neal, Bader, Carlson, he's not going to play. And so then what's his role? Right now, Matt Carpenter is your your best left-handed hitter off the bench. I, I'm not sure what your role would be. But and, you do get a veteran outfielder. But he might, and they'd have to claim him off waivers because – if his preference is to go to a team that has a chance, there's a couple of teams out there that could use an outfielder. Padres could use a guy like that, that they could rotate in. Oakland could still use an outfielder. And the Yankees certainly. Yes, the Yankees, definitely. That would be the one that made sense to me. And from the 314, take it or leave it, the Lightning three-peat as Stanley Cup champions. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. I don't see how they're able to... They've got a good core, but some of that core is going to leave because of the cap. It's, you just can't maintain the depth when you have as many great players as they have. But Thanks, they Emily. got Patty. They have Pat Rune, who will be back for yeah. them again next year. That's right. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. That is Teoli on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Vladimir Tarasenko has requested a trade, according to Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. We'll talk about where he might land next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Here's a great pass. Tarasenko in the clear. He scores! First and each goal, Tarasenko! Now Petrangelo, high slot, it comes to Tarasenko, and he scores! It may have been tipped, but the Blues have tied the game! Rangers have killed 16 in a row. Homo Tarasenko. Further and then it's dropped back on now for Braden Shen. Shen dropped one further. It came all the way back now for Petrangelo. Vlad, you sit next to Ryan in the room. When a new guy like him comes in and you see how hard he works and plays the right way, how much does that rub off on you and the rest of the team? What's a rub off mean? St. Louis, your time.
Time Check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Some of the great goals for Vladimir Tarasenko in a Blues sweater. He scored 218 goals in nine years, including seasons in a row, Dan, of 2014-15, 37, then 40, then 39, then 33, and then 33. He has been a prolific scorer in this league. If you're a team, though, that is looking for a scorer, do you want to count on a guy who's only played 34 games in the last two years because of three shoulder surgeries, even though his camp is saying that only one of those surgeries counts because the first two weren't effective? I'm leery of it for sure. Obviously, I'm going to do my due diligence, look at the medicals, uh, visit with him, find out exactly where he's at physically. That would be number one. And then I got to make the numbers work. And This is where I think it's going to get very complicated in trying to do this. So he apparently has given Doug Armstrong, per JR's reporting, we're going to visit with JR coming up later in the show, a list of teams that he'd be willing to go to. Apparently, Doug Armstrong has been, according to JR, shopping him for a while. And I think the, the response has been lukewarm at best, kind of reading between the lines with that. The cap is going to stay at $81.5 million. I think that's what complicates this, and mm-hmm. I want to ask JR about it because almost half the teams have less than almost, what, $15 million in projected space. So now you're limited in what you have in terms of space available for certain teams. Now you can maneuver. You can do different things with that. He's going to want to go to a contender, you would have to think. He's not going to want to go to a, a lesser-ran team. What about Seattle? That would be the one that I'm looking at. You know, you you, you expose him, see if it happens. I mean, you can do it right. They have all of their cap space, and they have to get to a floor. And his AAV is $7.5 million. Right. That, that's his cap. And if you're Seattle, you want to have a star as well as having good hockey players. And there aren't going to be many... Tarasenko was on the cover of the NHL video game. Mm-hmm. None of those guys that were on the cover of the NHL video game are going to be available to Seattle in this draft. 29 years old, and if he's healthy... As we heard, that goal against the Rangers, he scored it by himself one on four. I was thinking of teams off the top of my head. I got Pittsburgh. I got both New York teams. I got Vegas. I've got Montreal. So these are all teams that had a shot this year that played well, Mm -hmm. postseason teams. Um, I got to wonder if you're Edmonton, would you want to add him and try to get him with McDavid? No, that would be something. Let's start with a couple of things. Pittsburgh only has $3 million in cap space. Right. This is what I'm talking about. I don't know how some of these teams could maneuver around this. Now, again, you get creative, but I'm not sure how they do it. We had Joe Micheletti, our friend on last week, and I asked him about Tarasenko and the Rangers. He said the Rangers are fine at wing with a bunch of good young wingers. He said what they need is centers and defensemen. So he doesn't think from his perspective that the Rangers would be in the market. I wonder if Vladdy, who has a full no trade and apparently has given the Blues a list of teams that he'd be willing to go to. Would Calgary, A, be a destination for him, and B, would Daryl Sutter have any interest in having Vladimir Tarasenko on his team? I'm more interested in uh, who you got returning here, Randy, in that deal. Well, that'd be Matthew Kachuk. That'd be a money-for-money deal. All right. If I were to prognosticate, just if, if I were to guess... I would say that the deal that makes the most sense, and Jamie Rivers has talked about this in the fast lane a couple of times, is Evgeny Kuznetsov with the Capitals. He's making seven, a little more than Vladdy is. I think he's making 7.8, but he signed for four more years. 
and he's never been the goal scorer that Vladdy was at the top of his game, but he certainly has been the last two years when Vladdy wasn't available. That would be a money-for-money trade, and apparently Washington is willing to move Kuznetsov, and Vladdy is friends with with Ovechkin. So that's one that I could see and I would not be surprised by. Agents obviously uh, get involved in these kind of things too, and he changed agents. He is no longer with Mike Leute, so I'd be curious about the connections with the agent with certain players and with certain GMs. Sometimes that that has a way of working itself out behind the scenes, uh, which I'm sure now if, if this is all true, which I'm sure it is, JR reported it, that uh, he went to him that the agent's involved and says, hey, Doug, here's some ideas, too. You know, it's that that a lot of times that's how that happens. But it's got to work for the Blues, too. Right. You know, I, I and that's part of this. It's, it's you know, a two-way street. You're not just going to give them away. No. And th- that's that bums me out, that here's our guy. Blues drafted him. He was in Doug Armstrong's first draft. And J.R. writes that it's a apparently an irreparable fracture in the relationship and Tarasenko should have been our guy for the for his whole career. It's a bummer that, for whatever reasons they are, he's not going to be apparently not going to be here. I guess from a player's perspective, I can fully understand it. If he felt that uh, the surgery wasn't handled properly mm-hmm. from his perspective, that's one way to look at it. Or surgeries, and the other thing, I, I I'd be very curious to get his thoughts. Uh, open on not being named the captain yeah. because, as you said, I think he was what 16th overall. Wasn't he for Doug Armstrong in that in that draft, yep. 16th? And he's your guy. You developed him. He becomes a superstar in the league, and he walks away. But, you know, he's, a what, the longest or second longest tenure player and doesn't get the, the C. Now, from the team's perspective, I get it why they didn't. I mean, he was hurt. Um, but I wonder if that had an effect on him, too, where he was, you know, people are human beings. People get hurt, yeah. man. Things happen. Right. And he had obviously given a lot to the organization and was a great blue. I don't think, because of what the job of a captain is, I don't know that he would have been able to fill that role. His, Even though he does have a command of the language, he's not a guy that loves talking to the media. And the captain talks to the media before and after every game. I don't think he would have any problem at all dealing with the officials on the ice. But I just wonder if he would have enjoyed doing the things that captains have to do. Petro didn't always enjoy it, but he did it. Ryan O'Reilly didn't always enjoy it, but he did it. It's just part of the job. Also, how you lead on the ice. Right. There was times he disappeared. Now, that might be a factor of his health. I mean, to no fault of his own, he's just trying to get his legs back, get back into, you know, the the way that he used to play. And we've seen him play at such a high level. The expectations are so high, but he kind of disappeared. You can't have that with your captain either. That's Dan. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. And JR will join us coming up at 845. But coming up next, how should we expect the Cardinals to play after the All-Star break? Adam Wainwright had some thoughts on that, and we'll react to those next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. with Wayno, I asked Adam what we should expect, what he envisions for the Cardinals post-All-Star break. And here's his reaction. Well, I think you're going to see a team who's uh, who's just gotten tired of playing mediocre baseball. You know, um, a team that is ready to be uh, ready to fight and ready to 
show up every day with a chance to win and, and know that and just kind of believe that in their eyes and in their, in their minds and their souls. And uh, we're starting to get there, Randy. We really are. We're starting to get there. And, you know, sometimes it takes a couple smacks in the face to wake you up. And we got smacked a couple of times by people who didn't need to be smacking us. And uh, that woke us up. You know, when we lose three out of four to Pittsburgh and we lose three out of four to the Rockies, uh, that's a that's a couple of trips where you, you really feel like you you let an opportunity slip there. So um, we need to be better than that. We're going to be better than that, and it's time to start doing it. I love the way he goes about it, and I always have. But the thing that he didn't mention, and when we talked, he didn't know how badly Carlos Martinez was hurt. And Love him or hate him, he's been a roller coaster this year, but Carlos Martinez is a guy that can win you some games. The Cardinals are going to go into the series in Chicago, Dan, with LeBlanc, KK, and Wayno, and Oviedo pitched last night. That's your starting rotation right now, and your next guy might be Jake Woodford. It, I suppose, could be Libertor, but neither of us think that will be the case. They also have that, uh, they've got a double-A left-hander that they signed out of Independent ball. You don't sign a 32-year-old guy McGovern. for the future. Yeah. And he, he doesn't throw – he doesn't walk people. He, he, he's found it, apparently. He might be a guy that we see. It's crazy to think that, isn't yeah. it? I mean, we were talking four months ago. I thought the strength of this team was going to be their depth of pitching. And where would you put Carlos Martinez? Might he close because you don't know about Jordan Hicks? And you're going to have Hicks coming back. Man, they miss Dakota Hudson. We don't talk oh, yeah, about that right. enough. They miss Jordan Hicks. They miss all these guys. Um, but to to Wayno's point, I, I think you know I always look at the season and, and stretch of games. And here was that that stretch where they played the lesser or under five hundred teams. It didn't play all that well. And I thought, okay, this is kind of a defining moment at the time for their season. And I felt that then. I and maybe we'll look back on it depending on how this uh, season finishes up. And you go, man, that's. You finished a couple of games out in the wild card or whatever. Boy, you wish you would have played better then. Coming out of the all-star break, the Cardinals have 16 of 21 at home. So you're not on the road. You're going to finish up this long road trip in Chicago beginning tomorrow afternoon. And you can see that game on Bally Sports. We'll have two of the three games, uh, Friday and Sunday. Saturday is a nationally televised night game at Wrigley. But 16 of 21 at home, those games will include San Francisco, Chicago. You go on the road for only five, and that is uh, Cincinnati, then Cleveland. You come back home, and you've got a long homestand. you got Minnesota, Atlanta, and Kansas City. So I always kind of look at it in segments. I try to do that at times. You know, lesser teams, are you on the road? How are you playing on the road? What are you doing at home? And I look at 16 to 21 at home, and I say, got to got to win those games. Got you got to play above 500 at home. And... You hope that, especially that series where you lost three out of four to the Pirates here, Ooh boy. doesn't come back to, to haunt you. When you yeah. mention the idea of finishing two or three games out, you could do a lot of things right in the second half and have, like Adam said, when you get smacked in the face by Pittsburgh and Colorado, that's unacceptable. You can do a lot of things right in the second half and have those games come back to haunt you. You, you hit it on the head, though, man. What are they going to do pitching-wise? That's that's the the number one question now is when you're throwing even this weekend when you're throwing guys like Wade LeBlanc and I hey give him all the credit yeah, in the world time. he saved their bacon here the last couple of weeks um, and by the way this little turnaround that they've had of playing better baseball it's been cleaner baseball started with Wade LeBlanc making a start 
You know, and I, I, I got to wonder if guys are just looking in there going, man, he's he's throwing 88, but he's throwing strikes. Throwing strikes. And uh, so it started with him, and he had a good start in Denver, and now he gets another one at Wrigley. Not an easy place to, to pitch with the rivalry and the crowd and that kind of thing. KK, you just you kind of sometimes, I don't know about you, Randy, I got my fingers crossed with him watching him this year. Oh. I didn't last year. I do this year with health and whatnot. And he is the quintessential analytics Second guy through the lineup guy. Yeah. Because he just gets pounded the second, and we, we don't get to see him much in the third, but his numbers third time through the lineup are horrific. And Wayno goes in uh, Sunday's game. I like the fact that Wayno only threw five innings last time out. Kind mm-hmm. of a grind, but that's how the Giants win a lot of their games. Is Do you know that a starter has only lasted seven or more innings five times this year against the Giants? We're well past the halfway point. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So if you watched how they played the three games against the Cardinals, Lefty starts, okay, we have all these interchangeable parts. We'll have a right-handed lineup. Okay, the lefty comes in. Here comes um, our a right-hander comes in. We get all our lefty guys, and they can play first, third, you know, left, right, kind of the way that Farhan Zaidi built up the Dodgers with interchangeable parts. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting how he's doing it now uh, with the San Francisco Giants. The other thing I'll be curious with is that with games coming off the schedule, you run out of time, and all of a sudden the year is over. Under Mike Schilt, they have been a very good second-half team. Now, does that carry over? And does he get more aggressive? Because he just says, you know, his reputation in the minor leagues, he was kind of like the riverboat gambler. Mm-hmm. They literally would have to tell him to stop running at times in the minor leagues. But They'd be like, so let's just say you had a left-handed batter at the plate and a runner at first and he's stealing and the guy goes to second and now all of a sudden and it's a lefty on the mound and all of a sudden the opposition says okay well first base is open we're going to walk this guy to go get the right hander up we'll take our chances they would have to tell him sometimes hey don't do that because I, we understand you want to win games that's great we love it win games win as many as you can but we want to see this prospect against left-handed pitching how does he fare mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah he's he's kind of got that riverboat gambler style i don't think he's done that this well, year no. but i wonder with time ticking though and games coming off the schedule if he gets way more aggressive here in the second half and dan i hope he has the ability to do that because the, the foundation of the analytics movement is that you only have 27 outs and they're so valuable you don't want to risk them at any cost. And I really do believe that the Cardinals at the moment are paralyzed by that. They're so afraid to give up an out that they're, not, they're trying not to lose rather than trying to win. I understand when you have Goldie and Arenado coming up, I would be hesitant as a manager to say, do I really want to run into an out potentially here when these guys can walk into a home run and it's a crooked number? I get that. But lesser times down in the lineup, I mean, I, I'd be more open to... You have O'Neill and Bader down there. Hit and run with Yachty, you know, yep. straight steals with Bader, straight steals with Tommy Edmond. Yeah. You know, things of that nature. Why not? Why not try it? Now, analytics will also tell you, and the game has gotten so... Um, it's incredible down to this the split second of knowing how good the guy is on the mound, how quick he is to the plate, how great the catch and release is of the catcher, his pop times. I mean, you can all, and, and the sprint speed of your guy at first, and when you take a lead of X amount of feet, you almost can have it come down to the numbers. Now, it's human beings playing this game. Yep. I get it. But, you know, he's a 1-3, 1-4 to the plate. You're like, eh, I'm not so sure I'm going to do it. He's 1-5. Okay, we're going to go. But, I mean, those are the kind of things that it's it's gotten broken down to that point in the game. It has. But, as you say, it's humans. As, as Joe Torre said, the game has a heartbeat. Force those people to make a play. 
let them make a mistake. I, I'm with you. Force it. it because it's it's not as easy as it looks. No. I think we got spoiled with Yachty. He makes it look a little easier than yeah, probably it is. runs against the Cardinals. No, no doubt about it. So hopefully we will see an angry and upset and impatient Cardinal team after the All-Star break. And if Adam Wainwright has his way, we will. By the way, this weekend could be fascinating of what you do. Um, I mean, the Cardinals have had their, their ruts, obviously, this year. But the, the Cubs won last night. That was their first win in 11 games. Yeah. They they lost eleven straight. Their their all time record was in ninety seven. They lost fourteen straight. Where are they right now? So here we are. We we wake up in the morning and we talk about well Oviedo's walking guys and this that and the other. They're not hitting. They're, they're not winning games. They're talking about the first guy they're trading. That's, yeah, that's it's what's just going on on Chicago radio this morning. Kind of fascinating. Yeah, see what happens this weekend. Coming up, we've got the fight on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on one hundred and one ESPN. <laughs> Time for the fight. Michelle is out today and tomorrow. She'll be back with you on Monday. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and Randy Carricker is out of the studio. We know he is brilliant when it comes to sports trivia. It is the fight here on 101 ESPN, and we say good morning to our challenger. You, sir, are no average Joe. You are Jordan. How you doing, Jordan? I'm excellent, Danny. How are you? I'm doing well. I always ask, what do you do for a living? Uh, I just got out of the military a couple months ago, so... Uh... Trying to figure it out. Awesome. Thank you for your service. Greatly appreciate it. What uh, branch of the military were you in? Navy. Navy. Awesome. How many years were you in? Uh, just four. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your service. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. All right, um, Jordan. Uh, Danny, can I say something real quick? Sure. Um, I know I have a friend listening. Uh, if I get goose egg today, don't tell the rest of our friends, please. Okay, I done. That's you're you're not gonna get goose egged, okay? Because if uh, you do, I'm gonna maybe help you out a little bit. All right, so don't worry about it. You served <laughs> you served in the military. We're we're gonna take care of you. Shohei Otani hit his 32nd home run yesterday, breaking the record for most home runs in a single season by a Japanese player. Set by whom? Was it uh, Kaz Matsui, Ichiro Suzuki, or Hideki Matsui? Can I get the first one one more time? Kaz Matsui, Ichiro Suzuki, or Hideki Matsui? I'll go Hideki Matsui. No, that's a great choice. That was a good one. Okay. Who was the Cardinals' last National League Silver Slugger winner? Was it Matt Holliday, Yadier Molina, or Adam Wainwright? (laughs) Matt Holliday. Okay. Who is the only pitcher to win a Cy Young Award, League MVP, and Gold Glove Award in the same season? Was it Roger Clemens, the Cardinals' Bob Gibson in 1968, or the Dodgers' Clayton Kershaw? Roger Clemens. You went with Roger Clemens, okay. 
The Tampa Bay Lightning won their second Stanley Cup in a row last night. Congratulations to Pat Maroon, the Oakville native. Who was the last team to win back-to-back Cups? Was it the Red Wings? Was it the Montreal Canadiens or the Pittsburgh Penguins? Penguins. Okay. I think you've represented yourself well, Jordan. You should be very proud. Now, Randy's very tough, as we know. We're going to call him back in the studio. Um, I'm not sure about your chances with Randy because he's well, he is the mega mind, as we all know. But right. uh, I think you represented yourself well, so don't be uh, don't be upset with this one way or another. Now, Randall, yes, sir. You've walked it back in the studio. You put the headsets back on. I want you to say good morning to Jordan, who just got out of the Navy and served in our military. Jordan, thank you so much for your service. Welcome to the show. We appreciate you listening and being with us today. Absolutely. Okay, Randall, are you ready? I'm ready, sir. Shohei Otani, 32nd home run yesterday. Breaking the record for most home runs in a single season by a Japanese player set by... Hideki Matsui. All righty. Who was the Cardinals' last NL Silver Slugger winner? NL Silver Slugger winner. Okay. That played for them when he did it. I think it might have been Adam Wainwright. I'm going to go with Waino. Who is the only pitcher to win a Cy Young Award? league MVP and gold glove award in the same season in the same year. Okay. Uh, I don't know that Gibby was a gold glover. I'll do the lifeline here though. Red Sox, Roger Clemens. Hey, Cardinals, Bob Gibson. Hey, Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw. Okay. I'm going to, I guess I'll go with with Kershaw. Okay. The Tampa Bay Lightning, Randy, I don't know if you knew this, but they won their second Stanley Cup oh, last night. Congratulations to them. And Patty Maroon. Mm-hmm. He plays for them. Yes, he does. Who was the last team to win back-to-back Cups? Before the Lightning. It was the Pittsburgh Penguins, sir. Emily, we do have a winner. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Just win, baby. Shohei Otani hit his 32nd home run yesterday, breaking the record for most home runs in a single season by a Japanese player set by, and you both got this right, Hideki Matsui. Who is the last Cardinals uh, Silver Slugger winner? And uh, Jordan went with Matt Holliday. It is Adam Wainwright, 2017. Who is the only pitcher to win the Cy Young MVP and Gold Glove Award in the same season? Both got this wrong. Because you went Kershaw, didn't you not? I did. Yeah, it was uh, Bob Gibson. That was the season of 1968 when he did everything. You know, just the way he came off the mound. And I know he was superb athletic. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just hard to imagine that doing that, that he could win a gold glove, too. That's amazing. So 1.12 and 68, that changes baseball. They lower the mound. We're having historically low numbers and average in various things. 
think they do anything next year. I mean, they're trying to do something, obviously, with the ball and the sticky substance. Yeah. Maybe that helps, and the numbers will bear that out after the next two and a half months. Do you think they do anything just with the, the mound or anything? I don't think there's anything to do. I, I think the, the ball stuff I'm is going to help a lot. Yeah, I am with you on that one. Tampa Bay Lightning won their second Stanley Cup in a row last night, who was the last team to win back-to-back cups, and it was the Penguins. 2015, 16, 16, 17 seasons. Hey, Jordan, uh, came up just short. Randy beat you, but most importantly, thank you for your service. Thanks for playing and thanks for listening. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. And you should not be embarrassed. You represented yourself quite well. He was worried. He's like, man, if I get skunked, I got a friend listening. This is not going to be good. I said, we won't let that happen. We will not let that happen. We have hockey talk coming up. We do. Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. He broke the story about Vladimir Tarasenko officially requesting a trade. And JR is next with Dan and Randy on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Michelle Smallman is making her way to Miami this morning. Going she is out. to Miami. Yeah, out today and tomorrow. She'll be back on Monday. So it's Dan and Randy today. By the way, Jay Delsing, because the Cardinals have a day game tomorrow, Jay Delsing will join me as the co-host tomorrow on the show. But right now we go to our Blues Insider from The Athletic, who is doing great work and broke a story last night regarding Vladimir Tarasenko's trade request. The one and only Jeremy Rutherford is on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Randy, Danny, how are you guys doing? Doing great. So I first have to believe that because we had heard the report that Tarasenko had given the Blues some teams, you start following this closely, you do your due diligence and you do your work. Were you at all surprised to unearth what you have unearthed in your story in The Athletic about Tarasenko requesting the trade and the Blues trying to placate him? Yeah, not not really. I, I felt like uh, this off season there was a chance that the Blues were going to move Tarasenko. You know, we're going to talk a lot about him asking for a trade, but I think there's uh, some belief that this off season the Blues were going to explore the possibility of moving him anyway. And so there has been some speculation for the past month or so that the Blues were exploring, uh, uh, you know, a trade for Tarasenko guys. Uh, but just doing the due diligence, and it takes time, and, and trying to talk to the right people around the league uh, to find out uh, what the truth is. And so, you know, I've been spending the better part of the past couple of weeks doing that, and then uh, yesterday just kind of got confirmation, and it came to fruition that he has indeed asked for a trade request. And and at the moment, uh, Blues general manager Doug Armstrong is exploring his options. You know, Jr. This gets really complicated when you start thinking about the player. Requesting a trade, it's got to be a two-way street for the team that he's with, the team you're going to. You have a cap situation. The cap will stay at $81.5 million. Almost half the teams have less than $15 million left in uh, projected space. His AAV is $7.5 million. So th- there's, a, there's a lot of moving parts to try to make this fit in the puzzle, aren't there? 
Yeah, so multifaceted here, Dan. I mean, if you would have thought a couple of years ago that the Blues are going to trade Vladimir Tarasenko, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a pretty nice package. And you also think uh, pre-pandemic that the, cal- the salary cap is going to be on the rise. It could be at $90 million, uh, by now. But what you have is a situation where he's had the three shoulder surgeries, so he's on the decline. The production hasn't been there. And then you have a situation where the cap's going to stay status quo for a couple of years. And so if you look around the league, there aren't many teams that either can a afford a Vladimir Tarasenko or B want a player who looks to be on the decline turning 30 years old. Now he's going to have something to say about that rehabbing and coming back and, and trying to become uh, the player that he once was. But in the meantime, what kind of sell is that for Doug Armstrong? So, you know, whereas, you know, I reported that the list is as many as 10 teams uh, maybe there's only two or three in the league that Doug has found even have uh, semi-interest in Vladimir Tarasenko. So I think it's going to be a tough sell. And Jr. one of the things that you and I have heard over the years beyond the surgery and what's gone on in the last couple of years is that many times he, he had difficulty playing within the system, that his teammates didn't always know where he was going to be on the ice for set plays. I, I have to believe that the rest of the league knows about that too, right? Yeah, I think it's a, again, there's a multifaceted situation there too, because I think that the players on the team struggle to play with him. I don't know that he's a great fit with the teammates. And now I think if you talk with uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, people close to him, he doesn't believe that that's an issue. But I, being around the team for as long as Vladimir Tarasenko has been here, uh, do believe that that's an issue, you know, on the ice, off the ice. And so I think that's something. And I think where I wrote about uh, the trust issues between Tarasenko and the organization uh, in today's article is a situation where he feels like the, uh, the medical staff, the surgeons, have mishandled the first two surgeries. And then meanwhile, he has the hockey operations people telling him that he needs to be more competitive and more committed and do more things on the ice. And he's wanting them to take ownership for the uh, the shoulder surgeries. I think that's where we are today is because the, the trust can continue to deteriorate. So, um, Randy, whether it's the chemistry with the teammates, whether he's working hard enough, not working hard enough, I think there's two different sides to this story, and, and that's why we are where, where we are. So, Jr. to get to this point, let's look at it from Tarasenko's point of view. Do you think it, and you just mentioned it, do you think it was the surgeries? Do you think it was... The fact that he didn't get the C, uh, the fact that maybe he wants to change his scenery for his career. Where, where, if you had a packing order of reasons as to why he wants out of St. Louis, a team that drafted him 16th overall, they paid him uh, what, probably 60, 70, 80 million dollars. Why, why does he want out? Yeah, I think talking to the sources, it's number one. It's the shoulder surgeries he had to go to to Stedman in Colorado for that third surgery, and, and they were uh, looking at the shoulder, thinking that uh, it should have been caught the first two times. And, and I have to specify here, this is not me criticizing the Blues physicians. This is me repeating information that was given to me by sources uh, close to Tarasenko. So uh, first in that pecking order, Dan, is the shoulder. And then I think after that, you know, it becomes a trust issue, uh, big picture. Uh, but I think after that, you have the, the captaincy. He believed after eight years that he was going to get the C. He wanted it. Uh, he mentioned those comments uh, in that re- Russian report, uh, but we didn't get to talk to him for three months after that. You know, we don't talk to injured players, and so he was injured at the time, didn't get a chance to ask him about that, uh, but I think that still is lingering 
uh, with him, that uh, lack of loyalty that he felt with the captaincy. And then I think just a fresh start. You know, if the organization, if people are uh, telling him that he's underperforming and not committed and not playing well and he feels that he's committed, he's like, okay, well then move me and I'll go play uh, well for somebody else. Jeremy Rutherford broke the story of Vladimir Tarasenko's trade request in The Athletic last night. You can read it at The Athletic right now. In the fifth paragraph of your story, you list a group of players who could be moved this offseason. Jack Eichel of Buffalo, Seth Jones of Columbus, Johnny Goodrow of Calgary, Oliver ekman Larson of Arizona, and Washington's Evgeny Kuznetsov. Could you see a situation where... Perhaps a Washington would just want to trade money for money and do a Kuznetsov for Tarasenko and do a fresh start for both guys? Out of, out of all those names, Randy, I think Kuznetsov is the one guy that you could probably swap, and it's the, the money's similar. Uh, Washington terribly wants to get rid of Kuznetsov. The Blues are now in a situation where they need to, to move Tarasenko. Look, this is going to be difficult for Doug Armstrong because teams – uh, know that uh, Doug needs to move him. And, and they knew that before the article. He's been shopping Tarasenko uh, quietly. Um, so it's going to force his hand a little bit because, you know, teams are going to have a little bit of, of leverage there. Uh, but uh, the other players, you know, I don't think that Tarasenko is going to fetch a, a return that could, could bring you uh, that type of player. But I do think uh, with Kuznetsov's situation in Washington, um, he's a player that they desperately want to get rid of too. And, and maybe it's just a swap there. But then that big the question, uh, do the Blues really want to bring a guy, a player like him in who's had some off-ice trouble? Expansion draft, JR, does this fit into the equation at all with Tarasenko? Yeah, I think it does, Dan, because we're just 10 days away before the Blues have to turn in that protected list. Can you get Vladimir Tarasenko moved before that, and then you're able to protect another forward? A couple weeks ago, all three of us were talking about, you know, how can you not protect a, an Ivan Barbashev, let's say. Uh, you know, if, if you were able to move Tarasenko, let's say, for picks, prospects, a lesser caliber player, what have you, then maybe you can protect a, another player. But if you can't, uh, trade him before then, then I think you're going to have to do what you did in 2017 uh, when they had the uh, Vegas expansion draft and you protected Ryan Reeves knowing that Pittsburgh was uh, interested. So you're able to trade Ryan Reeves after the expansion draft. I think if this can't get done in the next 10 days, uh, then they're going to have to protect Vladdy Tarasenko in that expansion draft and try to continue to move him this offseason. JR, one more thing from me, and it's in regards to the the Vladimir camp allegations in regards to the surgeries. Do you think other free agents in the NHL take a look at that and express maybe concern because of the way this is reported to have, have gone down with his shoulder? Yeah, unfortunately for the blues, that will be an issue when, when Vladimir Tarasenko, a player, his caliber, um, makes that public. Uh, I, I think that uh, you look at the situation, everybody's known what Tarasenko's gone through. You know, it's, it's no secret. Everybody knows about three surgeries, and maybe that enough was a reason, a red flag for players around the league. And again, this isn't me speaking. This is people close to Tarasenko. But you look at uh, pro athletes and, and, and all the sports guys, and they can go wherever they want. They can seek a second opinion. Yeah, usually they go to that uh, team medical physician and, and use their surgeons. Uh, but in Tarasenko's case, he did go to Stedman where a lot of players around the NHL go. So, you know, ideally, hypothetically, a player could sign with the Blues, come here and either use their doctors or or not use their doctors. So I don't think it's the end-all, be-all, but it does raise a red flag. So this is my final question. Kind of following up on what Randy started with there, what do you think the appetite is for the other teams in the league to add 
Vladimir Tarasenko in a cap that hasn't moved, that has an AAV of seven and a half millions, uh, seven and a half million dollars. He's had three shoulder surgeries and his production isn't there. I mean, honestly, yeah. what, what do you think the appetite is to, to add that guy? Well, I don't think we're talking five or ten teams that are in position to bring on that type of situation, but uh, I do believe there's there's two or three who, if everything fell right, if if the Blues said we'll retain 50% of the salary for the next two years, so uh, you're looking at the Blues, oh, them what, nine, five this year, five next year, 14 million, the Blues retain 50% of that, and, and let's say the Blues say, you know what, we can't find an established player that we want for Vladdy Tarasenko, we'll take a second-round draft pick, and then you got a Tarasenko who only cost you a second-round pick and half his paycheck, and, and now he's motivated to pl- prove the Blues wrong. So I do think that the opportunity exists for that to be possible, even though it doesn't seem likely. There is no way that he shoots up again for the Blues, is there? After a player goes out and says this, I mean, it's it's almost impossible to bring him back? I don't think so. I, I would think 99% uh, he, he's gone. He's played his last game as a St. Louis Blue. Uh, I think that uh, only if Doug Armstrong is getting no offers and just absolutely uh, can't move him would he be back. But at this point, I would have to say that that's uh, not a chance. Great reporting, Jr. Fantastic. We appreciate your work, and we appreciate you taking some time with us this morning, Jr. We advise everybody to get their subscription to The Athletic if they haven't already, and I'm, I'm sure there's more to come, right? Yep, yep. Lots, lots more to come. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for reading, and thanks uh, to you guys for having me on. You got it. Jeremy Rutherford on 101 ESPN. Hey, Randy, a uh, little breaking news. You told me this before. Uh, we should get this out there before we mm-hmm. uh, move on, but you were telling me right before uh, the fight, Japan's Olympics minister, Tamayo uh, Morikawa, says there will be no spectators at any events as Japan will stage the Tokyo Olympics under a state of emergency. So no fans. Wow. Amazing. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up as the Cardinals start this series with the Cubs, they're in a free fall. Where do they go from here? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's 9.06 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Dan and Randy with you. And we do want to hear from you coming up at the bottom of this hour in regards to the Vladimir Tarasenko trade request. How do you feel about it? Are you bummed? Are you bummed or mad that the Blues are trying to facilitate a trade? We want to know what you think of the Vladdy trade request. You can send us a mic drop with our Rhino Shield mic drop feature in the 101 ESPN app, or you can text us, Air Comfort Service text line 65780 but Dan as the Cardinals start a series against the Cubs tomorrow at Wrigley Field the Cubbies snapped an 11 game losing streak last night they are just in an incredible free fall that we never would have dreamed we would see after the Cardinals played them up at Wrigley Field a few weeks ago they were uh, after their combined no hitter that they had in LA they were 42 and 33 42 33 they were um and to share the first place in the NL Central, now they've lost 11 straight. And so now the, the questions for them uh, come full circle again with just a few weeks remaining before the trade deadline. And they, they've got some really big names and big pieces. I, it's going to be fascinating, though, how the marketplace looks at them. Uh, Chris Bryant has had a bounce back year. He can play mm-hmm. the outfield, can play third base. You get him on a two-month stretch, a free agent to be, maybe he carries a team. What can you get for him? And Where's, by the way, he, he would be a perfect fit for the Mets. I would agree. 
Anthony Rizzo. Good player. Is he great? Do you want him? Uh, Yankees probably would love mm-hmm. to look at a first baseman because Luke Voigt has been hit and miss with injuries. Wilson Contreras. Um, don't know. I, I think Javi Baez is a wild card in this. Now, Javi Baez can play short. He can play second. He can play third. So he's going to give you great defense mm-hmm. if you need somebody at one of those spots and he's going to walk into some home runs. But you know what you're going to get. He's going to strike out a ton. Um what do you want to do with Jock Peterson? Another guy that you signed to a one-year deal. And I kind of think that he would have some value. I do too. Left-handed bat, yep. pop, especially against right-handed pitching. Um, the, the the guys, though, that I look at that would be intriguing to me, the, the one easy one to talk about would be Craig Kimbrell. He's back to being a dominant closer. And if you needed a closer, clearly you go out and make that deal if you can get him. Teams are always trying to figure out their bullpens. I would imagine this year, Cardinals are experiencing this, or a great example. Year to year, it's always hard. Coming off a pandemic year, it's probably really hard. I also have to wonder what teams, and especially with the analytics, Randy, and hear me out here, see if I'm crazy. If they're looking at trends in the game with a shortened season and then coming back and realizing, okay, you got two months to go, two and a half after the Mm -hmm. All-Star break, and then if you're a good team, you have another month. Is our pitching in particular, starters going to hold up, meaning can I shorten games, even though if I have an established closer, can I shorten games, though, by putting two back there? So if I have Mark Melanson, does he move to the seventh or the eighth and have Kimbrell closing games out? If I'm the Yankees, uh, would I add him, even though I have a Roldis Chapman? Who cares? I've got two dominant guys in the back end. Mm-hmm. Teams have done that. But I, I may have to curtail some of the innings with my starters just because guys may hit a wall here coming up. Right. We don't know. What would you think? Here's a an organization that appears to be impatient, and we're just kind of spitballing we're spitballing, here. baby. Yeah. But wouldn't Kimbrell be a fit in Philly? They're four and a half games back. They still have a chance. It's been a long time since they've had a good closer. Neris is their closer now. You get Kimbrell at the back end and then Neris to set up. With their starting pitching, and eventually their offense, like the Cardinals, should come around. I would think that Kimbrell would be a good fit there because their bullpen is not great. I would say Kimbrell's a great fit anywhere. Yeah, right. But you're right. Hector Neris is a guy that for a, he's, by the way, I think the longest tenured Philly in their pen who has mm-hmm. done every kind of role they, they've had. Um, and they've been looking for a guy since basically Papelbon was there, you know, just trying to figure yeah. out who's that guy in the ninth that we can count on for this year and next. And he's been a setup guy. He's been... He's got that nasty splitter. He'd come in in middle innings, and now he's being used as a closer. But I'm with you. That's why I love the wild card is that you still have a shot. Yeah. You know, you still look and you say, oh, I'm out of the division, but I got the wild card, and once I'm in, I'm in. And you got Craig Kimbrell. You're going to win a lot of games if you have a lead. I kind of think that when we get to August 1st, Kimbrell, Winkler, Davies are definitely no longer members of that team. I would say that there's... Probably an 85% chance that Bryant is no longer there. I I would be surprised if they didn't again try to re-sign Rizzo. And I don't know what the market for Baez is going to be. So uh, of, of all the free agents, and by the way, I think Peterson will go too. Of all their free agents, I think the guys that have the best chance to be there on August 1st are Baez and Rizzo. I'll give you another one that I'll throw out there. What about Kyle Hendricks? So he's under contract. So you're getting him for the remainder of this season and next, and I think he has then a vesting option after mm-hmm. that year. So you think about the value that you're going to get back because of 
cost control or at least having an understanding of what um, you owe him. And he's been, you know, a reliable store, a starter. He's been actually, he's been great. He's 10 and four with a three, eight, three ERA. We know what he does against the Cardinals. He is the, let's put it in quotes, the projected starter for game one tomorrow. But if you had a package of somebody, so if you're the Cubs, you say, okay, you're going to take this guy, you're going to get Hendricks, but you got to take this guy too. You know what I mean? You can get creative with this. I just wonder if they were thinking like that. Something to think about. I don't know that there's a starting pitcher in baseball that's a better fit for the Cardinals than Kyle <laughs> Hendricks. Throws a lot of strikes. Yeah. I like guys that throw strikes. And uses a defense. Yes, that's a good point, too, because he only has 79 strikeouts. Yeah. So he, he's, you know, he's using his defense. But there's no way the Cardinals could get him. There's no, no. chance the no, Cubs no, 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 would no. trade him here. No not with these two teams they, being yeah. as tight as they are and the rivalry. Right. They've traded before, but... Mike Morgan. Todd Zeal. Yeah. Jeff Facero. Yeah, that's right. I think that might be the last deal that they had was Jeff Facero. Yeah. I think Sammy Sosa hit a ball so far off Facero. Is Jeff Facero on a doubleheader at Wrigley? It's yep. still flying. That was a game where didn't Sammy win the nightcap with a base hit? I knew he was going to hit a home run, and he wound up just hitting it, getting the base hit. It was a fabulous— Maybe it was the first game that he won. I think it was a five-game series at Wrigley, which essentially decided the series yeah. in, like— O three Or the division in 03. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I recall. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring up bad memories, but that was game one. Jeff Facero yeah. gave that up. And the Cardinals, I think, had Matt Morris, who pitched brilliantly in game mm-hmm. two— Somebody hit a double late down the line, and it changed the game for the Cubs. I can't remember who it was. So Cubs may be heading back into that rebuild mode here. If you get rid of all those guys, yeah. And and also, even if they keep them, do you resign them? I mean, you're talking yeah. about big money for certainly Bryant. Rizzo, they offered him 75 The reported money offered. seven. I think it was 75 Randy. He turned it down. Yeah. Baez, who knows? It's the eye of the beholder of what you want. I mean, great defensive player. He's going to win you a gold glove potentially multiple years at maybe multiple positions, depending mm-hmm. on where you want to put him. But got to live with the strikeouts. Um, I'm sure they'd love to, to say, does somebody want Jason Hayward? Probably not. Not at that no, cost. No. How about Wilson Contreras? You got a year left with it. So he's a free agent mm-hmm. after next year, I believe. There's value there, obviously. Good yeah. player. Um, he's caught the most innings in the National League. They just signed either the fifth or sixth backup catcher. It's Wilson Chirinos. Yeah, they have three catchers on the 60-day DL. It's incredible. It's, they, they've gone through six now, six backup catchers. Is there, and Dan will be broadcasting from the Ballpark Village studio tomorrow, but July weekend, Cards, Cubs, 120 start Friday afternoon. Is there a better scene in baseball? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I haven't been it's, to it's a, great. I haven't been to a Red Sox Yankees game. I mean, I've watched them obviously, mm-hmm. tons of them, and Dodgers, Giants. But I've been in person, Wrigley Field, one twenty, especially when the teams are good and the the colors, the the blue and the red pop in the stands. It's just the the scene. The sun is perfect on Wrigley Field. Uh, before Usually you have the scoreboards coming in. Yeah, it's it's just perfect. And uh, people are in a good mood. It's a weekend. You're going to have fun. You're going to hang out at the bars and restaurants in Wrigleyville, yeah. and, and people are enjoying themselves. Um, I, it's, I am curious about the scene tomorrow as opposed to the scene the last time the Cardinals were there, which was their reopening. Yeah. 
uh, and again, we're doing the games from monitors, but I'm telling you, it felt like the place was ready to explode. Mm-hmm. Just seeing it on TV. Yeah. I mean, they were going wild. And usually Cubs, Cardinals, no matter what's going on in the standings, that happens anyway. Might be a little different with them having lost 11 of 12, though. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, both teams struggling, yep. you know. Yep. So we'll see. Next up, Patrick Maroon is going to have his name on the Stanley Cup for a third time. Pretty cool. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Joseph into the zone. He's got Maroon. He scores! Great pass by Matthew Joseph, and Maroon ties the game with just 6-12 to play. And Maroon just tipped it in past Carey Price to tie it. I'm a hometown hero, baby! Patrick Maroon now a three-time Stanley Cup champ after the Lightning knocked off Montreal last night, one nothing, and won game five of the Stanley Cup finals. And what a great representative of our town. And how fun is it to have him be a champion tying Ed Litzenberger back in the days with the Blackhawks and the Maple Leafs. Only two guys in history have won three or more Stanley Cups with two different teams in a row. Three or more Stanley Cups in a row with two different teams. It's uh, Pat Maroon and Ed Litzenberger. And to do it in this day and age with guys in free agency in a cap league, that's darn near impossible. I mean, you mm-hmm. got to have a little luck. Got to be a good player. Got to be wanted. And uh, and he is, and he, he plays a role on a team. He's not a superstar. He's got great hands, though, man. His hands are soft. He's got good hands. Can't really skate. That's okay. Mm-hmm. He's the big rig. He sits in front, and he does damage. He had a big goal the other night. Um, here's the real question I, I have for you, though, Randy. You know, they're going to have a huge celebration, clearly, with mm-hmm. the, the Lightning. You know, what, what, uh, what type of outfit do you think uh, old Patty oh. comes out with this year? That's a great question. I mean, no shirt, probably. Shirtless. I, I don't think after the Kuznetsov press conference last night, I don't think that uh, Maroon can show up with a shirt. I don't think so either. And, and for those who didn't see it, maybe you can explain it. Yeah. Uh, Kuznetsov sat, last night yeah. sat at the podium. He was the last guy. They brought all the other players out in multiples, like two or right. three guys at the podium. He was there by himself, Bud Light in hand, no shirts, doing his Zoom press conference. <laughs> it was great. I'm the big rig. And then he's going to have to say, I'm back to back to, to back, back, baby. So Pat Maroon played for the St. Louis Bandits back in 06, 07. They won a championship in the USHL. I, I actually did their games, and their coach was John Cooper. Is that right? Yep. 
I remember John Cooper being in St. Louis. I don't remember him winning. Yeah, he, so he, he won, won with the Bandits. Yeah, the the I should remember Turner that. Cup, I believe it was. Uh, maybe it was the, the Robertson Cup. Maybe it was Turner Cup is for Quebec Major or whatever. But yeah, so John Cooper won a championship here with Pat Maroon. He brings him to Tampa after Maroon had won here. It's exactly what they needed. They need a big rugged forward, and Patrick provides that sort of ability and size, but he also brings something to the table that other guys just don't bring. He's a great family guy. We remember the story of Anthony crying here when he scored the Game 7 winner against Dallas. Last night after the game, he's on the ice FaceTiming with his son, and what was that conversation about? Oh, we did it again. (laughs) Uh, This one was special. Certainly, I think... uh, it's hard to win, and uh, just blessed to be a part of good teams and have a role. And uh, it's hard to go back to back and to be a part of a group that's so special. Um, it's just amazing. I'm just glad my family got to come around the second time around now and party with us. <laughs> I love yeah, it because last year in the bubble. Didn't get to party with them. That's what I was saying earlier. You know, yeah. last year it was families weren't even up there. Right. It was just the the immediate, the staff, and uh, and that was it. You were in a bubble. And last night, look back, it just it seemed to look and take you back to the normalcy of the emotion and the passion of winning a Stanley Cup. And the fans were there in Tampa going berserk. But that's what playoff hockey really is. Mm. And really the sport, in my opinion, is is defined on is the passionate fan base and the and it's so hard we talk about it all the time it's so hard to win a stanley cup and so to get to that point and then to see the emotions of the players afterwards on the ice there's nothing better no and think about a guy like this who plays for two fan bases one that had never experienced a cup another that when he got there hadn't won a cup since 2004 and now here he is winning three cups a lot of hockey players that don't have their name on the cup once or twice so what's it like for patrick maroon he's going to have his name on the cup three times sounds amazing uh i guess i can you can put me in some good company i guess uh so i'm, I'm truly blessed like i said i, I love the game of hockey and I work my tail off every single day, and um, you know, and sometimes you got to play on good teams where you have to play a good role. And um, you know, I, I came to Tampa and I felt like we had a chance to win. And it takes a lot to win one, but it takes a lot more to win two. And we just did that. And I'm really proud of the guys. What did he do? So when the the Blues won the Cup, I remember seeing the pictures of like ravioli, and it was kind of a St. Louis themed day with the right, Cup with right. Patrick Maroon. Okay, so Patty, last year, what did he do? Do you know? I don't know because we were going through all the COVID. Yeah. So I don't know that there was anything really special, certainly not in the public with the cup coming to St. Louis. So you do it a third time because a lot of times these guys will do it to where, hey, I I, I want to go to certainly a family-themed thing or go to a children's hospital or maybe there's a kid that has been following them and have that part of it. I mean, there's always a side story or stories that are part of the cup. You win it three times. You got you may you may be running out of stories and things to do. Right. I, I, I'm sure I could fig, figure some things out to do with the cup, but I'd, I'd be curious to see what he does a third time now yeah. with the cup. And he doesn't have to bring it to St. Louis right. again. He may want to, but if he wants to do something in Tampa or one of the other places that he's been, he spent a lot of time in Anaheim. He started right. off in Philly. 
There's a lot of things he can do with that cup. Also, all the time that he had in juniors and right. things of that nature. You know, you, you build these relationships over the years, and you think about, I always think about just bringing it back to baseball, but when a guy makes a debut, the coaches, the family, the friends, that all make it a part of you making that debut. And I'm sure part of the cup celebration for them is, I need to be celebrating not only with my family and friends, but also thanking those that get me to this point. You only get a few hours with it, whatever, day with the cup. So I'll be curious to see what he does. And I'm happy for his family. I know a lot of his family members listen to this show. So congratulations to you, too, on having a brother or son who is a third-time Stanley Cup champion. I had a um, a sweet one night at the at um, Enterprise Center when Patty was in St. Louis, and we had a bunch of people there, and one of his family members came up and said, hey, can we come in the Swiss? Yeah, sure, come on in. We, we were just having fun, you know, no big deal. And the, the team was playing awful at that point. And I don't know if I told you this, and I said, well, how do, you know, how's Pat enjoying? And this was when they were saying, okay, he's going to get traded. Mm-hmm. You know, this is going to be, he's going to get out of here. The Blues going to, dis, you know, dismantle this thing because it's it's been awful. And a, a story about how you need toughness and a hockey player is so tough. Um, they said, well, Patty's dealing with, what was it, cracked ribs? Right. Or, yeah. Whatever it was. But, I mean, it was a serious rib situation where, you know, most people are, like, having trouble to breathe. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, he's going to go tonight, and it'll probably happen in the first shift because he's got to get the boys going. Mm -hmm. This is on a last-place team. I mean, they were dead, and that night they got pounded. And here he goes out there with a flap jacket on or whatever it was and dropped the gloves to try to get his players going and his team going. It's those kind of players that you have to have with the elite and the skill, but those are the kind of guys that help you win cups. Yep. 98 days until... Hockey season starts. That's not that far away. No, three so months. We will have a normal start, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking first, second week October, regular season. Right. And what, about a week and a half, two weeks of a training camp? Two-week training camp, I guess? But, yeah, two weeks, two weeks, 18 days, something like that. So, And then we'll be back at it. Unbelievable. And apparently Vladimir Tarasenko will not be a member of the St. Louis Blues. Coming up, we want to hear from you with the mic drop feature on our 101 ESPN app. You can tell us what you think of Jeremy Rutherford's story that Vladimir Tarasenko has requested a trade and the Blues are actively trying to move him. You can also send us a text. We'll use those coming up as well. 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. And Dan and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This text just in from the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Randy and Dan, I just hope they can get something for Vladdy. I, I know about his surgeries, but he could have gone anywhere if he wanted to. I get it. Uh, Let's see. Similar to uh, another one from the 314. Similar to Albert, we more than likely saw the best years of Laddie's career. And Blues fans should all be grateful that he was here when he was at his best. I I would agree with... uh, I'm still on the fence. He's only 29. So if he shows up with a healthy shoulder and a fresh start, and depending on who you pair him with, and a fresh start with his coach too maybe is is going Mm -hmm. to be beneficial for him, a different system. Um, I still think he can be a productive player. I, I just don't know how healthy he is. That, that's the money aside and trying to fit into the cap and where he goes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, you know, it, it's buyer beware, I think, if you're 
you know, you're taking a flyer on him yeah. because the upside could be awesome because we saw him when he was healthy. He's a great player. But, man, the last couple of years, it just hasn't been there. And he hasn't he hasn't been there. That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. From the 636, thank you for so many wonderful memories of Vladimir, but the time has come for you to move on as much as I hate to say it. And obviously he thinks that way because he's the... He he has initiated this process. However, as Jeremy Rutherford reported, the Blues were talking to other teams before Vladdy came to them. If you had to put, let's see, give me a list of three teams that you think he winds up on. I know I'm putting you on the spot. It's kind of tough, but what do you think? I'll go Washington. I like that one because of the fit with the money and uh, players disgruntled. Just swap them and move on. I'm going to say L.A. They picked up Victor Arvidsson last week. I think they're going for it more now than I thought they would early on. So I'll throw L.A. in there because they didn't have to give up much for Arvidsson. I think they gave up a two and a five. And how about the Flyers? Flyers always seem to be after big-name, big-money players. I had the Flyers. These are my, my choices. I had the Flyers. I had Pittsburgh. I had the Islanders. I had Vegas. I had Montreal. And a wild card in this was Edmonton to pair him up yeah. with McDavid. I think he would like Vegas, but I just don't see where their money there's, situation. Yeah, where there's yeah. A, a money deal that the Blues and the the Golden Knights could make. Let's get to some mic drops. Let's start with John, who's with us on 101 ESPN via the Rhino Shield mic drop. First, Albert Pujols, then Petrangelo, now Tarasenko, our homegrown talent superstars leaving st louis i know it's the way of professional sports in this day and age but it doesn't mean that it doesn't suck for st louis fans hey go back to that 2000 sporting news cover where you had kurt warner who went to a super bowl with arizona you had chris pronger who went to stanley cup finals with edmonton anaheim and philadelphia and won with anaheim and then you had Jim Edmonds, who basically played for the rest of the division against you. <laughs> yeah, the only team he didn't was Pittsburgh, I yeah. think. Um, I get it. You know, sometimes those are your favorite players, and especially when they're superstars, it's tough to see him go. And for many fans, I would imagine this is tough to see him go. And and the other thing is, too, Randy, you know, he's he was also a part of your first ever Stanley Cup championship. So mm-hmm. you're seeing parts and pieces of that roster go, and big names. You know, Petro going was a big one. This is a big one. You know, this is a guy that you had. You saw him develop. You had heard about him. You heard about this young kid. And then all of a sudden, he lived up to a lot of the the hype around him as a goal scorer. And so I understand it. From a fan's perspective, sometimes it's tough to swallow. And this is kind of a different tangent. But savor the fact that you're able to watch Wainwright and Molina play their entire careers for your team. Absolutely. I say it all the time. I mean, I also love it because Wayno. When I'm watching him, and I'll make two cases here, Wayno is a throwback because he doesn't throw 100, and he pitches. Mm-hmm. And in this day and age, we don't see that every night in baseball. And I love when Yachty has two strikes, and he's actually trying to put the ball in play or serve it into right or just try to make something happen. Don't see that all the time. No. Guys are happy with striking out, and he's not. And they ride or die with St. Louis. Let's go to Jonathan with the next mic drop. I don't really think there's anybody to blame in the looming divorce between the Blues and Vladdy Tarasenko, but I do think that if the Blues don't go out and find somebody else to score goals, they're going to be in some trouble. Vladdy wasn't the same person he was, same player he was uh, the last couple years, but 
they need to get some goal scorers, and uh, he could have been one, but now they'll have to go elsewhere to find it. They absolutely need to find somebody to score goals, and it's not to replace him because he hasn't done anything for two years. It's to enhance what you had last year and the year before. I still think you got to find a defenseman. Absolutely. You know, when you're looking at why the blue, like if you looked at that series with Colorado, look at the traffic in front that was created. Yeah, I, I got to find a presence. You know, Pareko's fine, but I got I I need another, well, and he needs to be healthy. Yes, but. The Blues won the Cup, not only because of, but in large part because of the fact that they had a big mobile defense. Petro, Pareko, Bo Meester, uh, Gunnarsson was playing there. Vince Dunn was playing at his best. They're not big, but uh, mobile. And they need a big, mobile, left-side defenseman. No doubt about it. I would also say this. I think the Blues were affected maybe more than anybody going into the bubble. That that team had a chance to win yeah. the Stanley the Cup. the best team in the West. And it just never came to fruition, obviously, in the Cup. I thought last year was just start and stop. They didn't look... It, it just didn't have cohesion. They didn't have an identity. I agree. And Petro being gone was a massive loss. Wound up being a massive loss, I thought, with this team. Just was a team that just didn't have it together. I, I think having a full off season going into a training camp with or without Tarasenko, it does benefit the St. Louis Blues. I, I also should point out, because I just neglected to, Joel Edmondson was a big part of that defense, too, when you talk Absolutely. about big guys that make an impact. That's right. Let's go to Glencoe, where Sharon has left us a mic drop. Hey, guys, Sharon and Glencoe here. Anybody surprised by the Tarasenko news hasn't been paying attention? The last three coaches, he's had trouble playing in their system um, and just get the underlying feelings of issues with teammates, etc. And then you throw the injuries and all of that on top of it. And, I mean, maybe the doctors are at fault here, but also, I mean, what else are you going to say as a player that's looking to go somewhere else? You don't want to come across as damaged goods. You want to still sell yourself as having something left. So, you know, as they say... There's one side, there's the other side, and then the truth is somewhere in the middle. I'm sure that applies here. I'm thankful for all he did for our team, but it's definitely time to move on. I'm a little aggravated that he's made it come out this way. Um, but, you know, I get it. He's a professional athlete and has an ego. So, at any rate, um, time for both parties to move on. LGB. Valid in, in um, I think it's beneficial that he gets away from maybe the coaching staff and mm-hmm. the system. It just didn't seem like a right fit. And I'm not taking, I'm not blaming him and I'm not blaming, blaming Craig Berube, but if the window is there to win and they say it's about a two year window, it doesn't look like Craig Berube is going anywhere. Is he the guy that fits in this system? And my answer would be no. no. And apparently Tarasenko shaped at the idea of using his six two, two hundred 220 pound body to get to the net. Coach Hitchcock always talked about how he was one of the few guys in the league that could score from distance and from in close. And I don't know if it was because of the injury or because he just wanted to be a sniper, but he quit going to the net. And even when Baruby publicly asked him to, he didn't spend time around the net. I got to wonder, though, if that's a byproduct of you're a human being. You're skittish when you have surgery and you've had two and you don't feel right. Now you've had a third and you're saying, this is my career. Do I want to do that? Or I want to play on the perimeter. I get that. Maybe you're not even thinking about it, but you just do it out of natural instinct. And if you're the coach, you're saying, now, wait a minute, I'm hearing that you're fine. 
Go play like I'm yeah. asking you to play. So I, I see both sides of that, too. Let's get one more mic drop. Timothy with our final one on 101 ESPN. I just say I'm actually really fine with them uh, looking at trading Terrace saying, yo, I mean, this team has underperformed like crazy, and there's something not right there. So I think a shift in the core a little bit, you know, free up that cap space, and then they can create a new core that can fit Brewery style and get back to where they need. They can they can actually wind up using that save money on Tarasenko to dip into the free agent market or even trade for another player of his of, you know, of his caliber better that has a cap hit like that. So I just think it's a good thing. Um, and also you look at it, it also frees up some money so they can extend Pareko when it's that time and things like that. I mean, so I think it's a good move. Also, if he's not happy here, he's not going to give his all, his all to be here anyway. So you're just in, it's just a bad situation all around if he stays. So it's time for them to move on. Uh, he hit something really good there, that, which is the complicated part of this in my mind. It's the money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're a team and you're saying, okay, his AAV is seven and a half million. We know the cap is not moving from 81 and a half. We've already dedicated pre-pandemic to X amount of dollars for players. There is just not a lot of wiggle room unless you have X for X. So I, I think this can be really complicated for the Blues to do. You're going to do it because now it's all out there in the open. And obviously this is probably not a uh, a secret within the NHL circles that Doug Armstrong has been trying to move him. But now it's public. Um, so even the other teams have leverage. I think the Blues are going to have to swallow some of that, which you don't want to do because you're trying to squeeze everything out of every last dollar. But this is where it gets really complicated potentially now and in the next 10 days before the expansion draft. Exactly. Good point. That's Dan. I'm Randy. We're going to cross things over towards the Danny Mac show featuring BK next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> A lot going on with the Stanley Cup Championship going to Tampa and Pat Maroon with Vladimir Tarasenko requesting a trade from the St. Louis Blues and with the Cardinals falling in the finale last night in San Francisco on their way to Chicago. They'll spend the day and off day in Chicago and then play the Cubs three over the weekend. Looking forward to that. They probably, uh, well, they didn't probably, they traveled out late last night, so they arrived in the wee hours of the morning in Chicago to get ready for the first of three at Wrigley. Projected starter would be Kyle Hendricks for the Cubs in game one. Wade LeBlanc is now officially the starter for the Cardinals. Carlos Martinez, if you didn't hear it last night, put on the injured list. He has a tear and a ligament in his thumb. Don't know about when he or if when he, you know he'll come back. So um, obviously it's a, a big weekend for two teams that are just trying to gain some traction before the All-Star break. And I wonder, I know that the Cardinals... They, they want to try to contend, and Mr. DeWitt wants to try to contend. But does it make sense at this stage, with as beat up as that starting rotation is, for the Cardinals to use a good chip to get a mediocre starting pitcher? Or do you just go with a Woodford or a Kevin McGovern from AA and basically just live until hopefully Flaherty and Michaelis get a chance to come back? I think that's one of the ways you have to do it. I think one way or another, you got to go get some pitching. To help you out. I mean, last night you had eight walks, one intentional, mm-hmm. but you had eight walks, and you're throwing Oviedo out there by necessity. Because if you if you had your opening day 
rotation, Johan Oviedo is developing now in the minor leagues. Right. And if he needed a spot start, he's coming up, or if he needed, or he's up in the bullpen, if the bullpen was doing what they're doing now. Uh, and maybe he feels less pressure coming out of there. Maybe he's more of a strike thrower. You don't know. Sometimes a role changes how guys are effective. But uh, I, I think one way or another, Randy, to answer the question, at least from my perspective, I, I think they got to find some kind of pitching. Now, I'm not talking about a trade ship of a big one. I'm, I'm just saying, do you sign a guy? You know, do you, do you scrap heap it? I, I'm okay with that if it's a guy that throws strikes because I'm just not sure you can hang around with what you got right now. One name that's come up all year and came up when Flaherty got hurt was Cole Hamels, who doesn't throw as hard. And you would, I don't know if Cole Hamels still wants to pitch, though. And does he want to come to a place where he's just pitching? They're seven, eight games out of the league. There's other guys, too, but yeah. they got to get built up. Right. You're running so, out of time now. Right. So, you know, so if you build them up, you're not talking until early August. That's my thing. If you were going to do that, you'd do it the day after Flaherty gets hurt. Yes, and it might be too late to do that. So you build up Jake Woodford, you give him a run. Um, you know, you, you, I think you can give Oviedo another start coming out of the break. You can reset your rotation to buy you time, probably your fifth time out of the, the break. I would make him my fifth starter, potentially. And that buys you maybe another week or so, at least 10 days, and you're closer to getting Jack Flaherty back. You know, maybe two or three starts away where Oviedo has to make that start before you get Flaherty back with his timetable, I would imagine, is probably early to mid-August. But just doing some of the numbers. Could be wrong about it, but that's the way I look at it. This was fun. I know you're going to be getting ready for a game tomorrow. You will do your normal 10 to 11 show, but this was awesome to work with you. You're the best. We do every week, but just you and I, it's fun to do a show. You're the best, my man. Thanks. Thank you, Daniel. You got it. Thank uh, you. And who do we got coming up in the 10? Uh, Always talking baseball. We'll talk baseball with BK. We're talking baseball. We're having fun. And we're talking it on a Thursday morning here on 101. Thanks. Oh, baby. Thanks to our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Great work as always. Thank you. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7, Jay Delsing will be with us. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise.